0: It is another blessed occasion, isn't it, that brings us together this Lord's Day morning? And these songs in which we have already lifted our voices together have been so encouraging. Songs like Blessed Assurance and Footsteps of Jesus. Indeed, as we have given our thought to those words of song, maybe they've prepared us, at least in some small way, to launch into a consideration of a lesson. As you can see, I have entitled, Every Person Will. The introductory thoughts on this next slide are more or less just those things to start us along this way of thinking. Have you ever heard the statement, there's only two things certain, death and taxes? Sometimes there are those who will make a statement like that, indicative of the fact that these at least are things which nobody can do anything about, as if to give the impression that whether you like it or not, Whether you feel inclined to do so or not makes no difference, you will do this. I would at least offer that not everybody's going to die physically according to the Bible. Jesus is going to come back at some point, and we are told there will be those humans alive. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. But it does at least lead to this question, are there things that every one of us will do? Regardless whether we want to or not, regardless other details or specifics, and the answer to that is yes. And hence the title of the lesson today Every Person Will. I'd like to offer you a few of them based on the Word of God, but I will say this some of these may end up being surprising, some of them may, at least at first thought, be rather shocking, in fact. But nonetheless, the matter that rests behind each one of them will be very motivational to all of us because it's drawn from the Word of God. May I offer you this. Every single person is going to make confession of Christ. Make confession of God. And you may at first be saying, now you have to be kidding. Aren't there so many people on this earth who will never confess Christ? They will never turn their attention to truth. And they will never have any interest in matters that you and I hold so dear along that line. Well, hold on with me. Let's flesh this out with the Word of God and do so in the following way. I have begun that slide by calling to your attention. There is, of course, a plan of salvation, and you and I know the sweet place in that plan that confession has. Romans 10, verse number 10 says the necessity and the characteristic essentiality of that in language like this, that with a heart man believeth in the righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. And isn't it true in Acts chapter 8 with regard to the Ethiopian nobleman, on that road you may recall that even he made the statement, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip in response pointed out, if you believe with all your heart you can... And that eunuch made this statement, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ. It is for that reason I would point out there certainly are so many who have chosen to make confession of Christ, and in this life they have used that to move them in a the direction of faithful service. They have audibly and voiceably pronounced their allegiance to Jesus Christ. But what about all the others in this world who choose to live ungodly, who choose to live unrighteously and who, it seems, are determined to finish their course in this life without much care, at least at this point, about serving God. If you would, turn with me to a passage in the book of Philippians and let's at least hear the consideration of what shall take place in regard to those people. Philippians chapter 2, and let me begin reading in verse number 5. that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you bear in mind with me that the inspired apostle pointed out there that Christ, of course, is so great and so magnificent And you'll notice that He's been given a name that's literally above every name. And not only that, verse number 10 says that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You may give attention to the verb should, indicative of the fact that it would be appropriate for them to do so. Every knee should bow. And not only that, that every tongue should confess. Now, you and I might quickly assert, well, that says they should, but will they? Will there be an appreciation in the life beyond this one where even those who have refused to confess to Christ in this life, shall they do so then? There's one set of verses that close that slide. May I invite you to turn with me to the 14th chapter of Romans. We have an additional piece of information that will provide us with some helpfulness I'll only need to invite you to read a couple of verses. Romans chapter 14. Let me begin reading in verse number 11. In fact, let me start in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The language is very strong, isn't it? As Paul addressed the church in Rome, pointing out to them the nature of matters in expediency and how inappropriate it is to judge in an unrighteous way. As a part of that description, did you notice what he said? He quotes a part of the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, but he points out every tongue shall confess. Might you and I then close that slide in the same way that I've asked you to appreciate it. Either we can confess Him now, when it is our choice and when it is our capability to do so, and we shall appreciate the blessed benefits that shall come therefrom, or we shall do so then when otherwise it will not benefit us with regard to what shall fall thereafter. We can confess Him now, or we'll be forced to later. Wouldn't it be far better to do so now? Wouldn't it be far better to submissively confess the great name of Christ now? If there are those in this audience, those in this assembly, which in fact have not yet done so, but know you should... I hope you'll realize how far better it is to confess Jesus now. To give honor to God now, rather than to wait till the day of judgment when you shall do so then. In the terror of that moment, because after all, the terror of the Lord shall be apparent then. 2 Corinthians 5.11 May we ask, what else will every person do? I just mentioned confession. This one may even be more surprising. Are you aware of the fact every single person will be baptized? Now you may again ask, how is that going to happen? For just as you could quickly observe with me, it is magnificent to notice the plan of salvation does incorporate baptism. We know that. There is no question about it. Jesus said in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And you and I remember the book of Acts, how that on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 obeyed the gospel in baptism, Acts 2.41. So many times later in the Bible, we appreciate that as Paul preached it, there were many that reacted and responded faithfully to it. But now you and I know there are still many, not only in that day, but even in our day, who have not obeyed the gospel by being baptized. Isn't it true in Romans 10, 16, they've not all obeyed the gospel? Even Paul made that observation. You may then wonder, preacher, how can it possibly be that you make the claim that everybody's going to be baptized? Well, bear with me. As we come to about the middle of that slide, you'll notice in Acts 24 verse 25 that the statement was made that there was a person, namely Felix, who did in fact resist the invitation to baptism. In fact, isn't it true? He said, Go thy way. When there's a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. Now comes the point. Would you revisit with me? Matthew chapter 3. There was a statement therein made. A statement that in fact will answer our observation. John the Baptist made this assertion. As he spoke about the coming of the Christ, that of course was to labor following him, he put it in these words. And indeed, I baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Let's finish that observation as you come near the bottom. Everybody is going to be baptized. There are those who choose to do so in life, and in so doing, they of course give response to being baptized in water for the remission of their sins, following the pattern of Acts 2.38. "...they lovingly make submission to the commandments of the Lord, and they allow themselves to be immersed in water." It's an exercise that duplicates, you see, the very nature of what the Lord endured. Jesus died, His body was buried, but He arose by way of of, of resurrection. And in so doing, in that same pattern, or at least likeness, our old man of sin dies, we bury it in baptism." And we rise to walk a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 For those who experience that, what a life-changing matter it is. But what about those who refuse? Did you notice that they're going to be baptized with fire? When I began that assertion, it didn't say everybody be baptized in water. I said everybody will be baptized. Those who refuse to submit to the commandments of the Lord, including baptism... They'll be baptized all right, but it'll be the baptism John referred to in fire. That fire described elsewhere in Revelation chapter 20. That was the lesson text that Brother Vestal read a moment ago. Could I turn your attention back to it? Whosoever, verse 15 of Revelation 20 Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, and may we pause to note names are placed in that book who do become Christians and who are washed from their sins. But what about those who did not experience such? It says they were cast into a lake of fire. You see, then they too will be baptized. It won't be with water. It'll be with fire that eternal fire that is that gnashing of teeth that is, in fact, correspondent to that reality. How awful it is to contemplate. You and I can either be baptized now in water for the remission of our sins or we'll have to, in fact, suffer the baptism of fire eternally. The choice is left to you and me. The choice is left to our choosing. May we, in wisdom, choose the former. Choose to submit ourselves... In humble submission to the things of God. Let's close that slide then like this. That choice, you'll notice every person will. What about number three? What else is it that every person will do? I hope you can already begin to see a number of these occurrences that have had a rather interesting connection to the plan of salvation in one way or another this one a little different, be resurrected. That thought perhaps has already rushed quickly to your mind. You might want to go ahead and be turning with me to several passages of Scripture. We'll start in John 5, verse 28. It really wasn't that far into the Lord's ministry when this particular point was made by Him rather emphatically. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. It is true, isn't it, then, that those that live godly, those that live righteously, those that give the best of their ability in the service of God, they're going to experience a resurrection. But it's also true that unrighteous, and ungodly scoundrels, the wicked, whatever character of ungodliness may well have been the case, they too will be resurrected. It's at this point we should at least introduce the following thought of emphasis. I entitled the lesson, Every Person Will. But did you notice the circumstances under which all of these will be experienced is very different That was very true in the baptism case, wasn't it? Being baptized here on earth in water will be nothing like being baptized eternally in fire and hell. Both are called to baptism, but how different are the specifics? By the same token, what about the resurrection? It's true that those who are resurrected to life, those who've been faithful to the Lord, oh, that kind of resurrection, how sweet, how thrilling, how pleasant. But on the other coin... On the other hand, what about those who chose to die ungodly? Who chose to die in sin and and in iniquity? Jesus said they too will be resurrected to damnation. Let's develop that thought like this. Every single individual will be made alive in an eternal characteristic. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 Might you and I observe, if we happen to be alive when the Lord returns, that will not excuse the principle of this particular point. We merely will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. And in that change, we will then inhabit a body suited for eternity. And in so doing, you realize with me, then the premise here will be understood. Will I have been changed or resurrected to life? Well, I've been changed or resurrected to damnation. It's a frightful consideration to be in the latter category. To imagine never again an opportunity to be right with God, no matter what I say or do, the verdict has been rendered. For that reason about the bottom of that slide, marvel not at this. You know, there were some in the Lord's day who were teaching Various and sundry things about a supposed resurrection. Some who would participate and some who would not. And even to this day, there are still many in our world who really do not think very highly of the consideration of a resurrection. They think once you're dead, it's over. That's it. There is no more. There are others who seemingly feel as though everybody's going to be resurrected in a good way that the love of God will simply make it so. Neither of those things is true according to the Bible. Jesus Himself said there will be some resurrected to life, but there will be many resurrected to damnation, to condemnation, because by the life they've lived, they have chosen to reject from themselves the opportunity of eternal life. They've chosen the pathway of separation from God. And as such, they'll be able to experience it forever because that's what they apparently wanted. That state is so frightful. In regard to this resurrection, could I then ask you and I to consider it this way? As I have written it at the bottom of that slide, wouldn't it be far better to be resurrected to life now and enjoy the spiritual blessings connected with Christ now rather than having to experience the resurrection to damnation on that final day. The choice is ours. It's mine and yours. It is not forced upon us one way or the other. The fact will be resurrection, no question about that. We will be one or the other. Which one is true of you and me? One of the grand things about the Bible is it leaves us the choice. It simply directly paints us the picture of what the choices are, but lets us make the decision. What else will every person experience? We've looked at three. You may again be a bit shocked by this one. Obey. In what way does that perhaps have consistency with the Word of God? I begin that slide again by saying it like this. The Bible demands that we obey Christ. If we would be pleasing to Him, we must do what He says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, borrowing the language of John 14, 15. And in fact, isn't it true that those who have eternal life do obey? Now, Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9 put it like this. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. There is something to be noted then about obedience. I realize that as you and I appreciate the gospel plan of salvation, we refer to that as obeying the gospel when one complies with it. But what about those who choose not to do so? To mine comes 2 Thessalonians 1. Beginning in verse 7, does the text say, "...to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power." Have you ever thought about it this way? There are those who choose to turn their back on the gospel. As if they say, I don't care what it says. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do what I want to do. Sometimes they try to rationalize it one way or the other. But have you ever thought about what shall happen on the day of judgment? There, this mass of souls in their prepared bodies, assembled before Jesus Christ. Now in this life, many of them chose not to obey Him. They will not have that choice that day. When He says, depart from me into everlasting fire, they will have no choice. They will obey then whether they want to or not. They will obey then whether or not the disposition has previously been one of disobedience. That will no longer be possible. To say it differently, we could say it like this. We can obey Him submissively now, or we will obey Him forcefully then. The book of Revelation paints a rather vivid picture of untold legions of angels in majesty and in power who will be assembled on that day of judgment. A person will not be able to say, But I'm not going to hell. I don't care what you say. That's not going to make any difference. When the verdict is given and the consignment is made, that person, that soul, that particular being will be cast into hell. Revelation 20, verses 11 and following. Did you note the verb usage of verse 15 that Brother Vestal read earlier? those whose names not in the book of life shall be cast into you will be forcefully moved in that direction any resistance will be futile anything to the contrary will be meaningless may i again say we can submissively obey him now or we shall forcefully be made to obey him then but we will obey him, make no mistake about it one more time in the choice hours In this life, while there's breath in our lungs and there's sentience in our brain, we're able to make decisions. A little bit later in the service today, a hymn of invitation will be sung and any individual who recognizes and is made aware of the fact that he or she is separated from God can make a choice to come back to Him. But could I remind you, if you're away from Him, if you stay in the pew, you're still making a choice. You're saying, Jesus, not now. You're saying, Jesus, I'm going to wait for a more convenient time. I'm going to wait for a different day. You say, you're still making a choice. You're saying, Jesus, not right now. One final consideration and the lesson will be yours. Every single individual, every being will be judged. One more time, I think it's rather interesting to observe how that rebellion seems to be so rampant, at least in the mind of many in our society. There are many who think, well, maybe that rule is for everybody else, but I will rationalize my behavior. I'm not doing it. Our teachers, our judges face this. If you read articles or see particular things on the news, our teachers, especially in some locations for which students come and their policies and their rules, but... These students say, well, I'm not doing it. And the teacher has no power to do anything to the contrary. Can't paddle them, can't spank them, can't put them into detention, can't do anything. Imagine how our teachers are handcuffed in situations at least like that. You know, that kind of mindset, in many ways, perhaps we might be willing to think is ours. I'll live my life here more or less the way that I want, but on the day of judgment, I'm going to argue my way out of it. And I will present my case before Jesus, and He in love is going to accept me. He'll bend the rules for me. How often have you heard people say that rules can be bent? Probably more often than you would like to admit. We all have. But rules are rules, and they are not made to be broken. Although sometimes we hear people say that they are. The judgment of Christ will be just, J-U-S-T. On that slide, let's walk through some of these observations. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Paul pointed out to the church at Corinth that all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's without exception. All of us will be judged. Everybody, whether righteous or not, whether you have admitted Christ or not, whether you've loved Christ or not, makes no difference. You will be judged. Now, it will make a great difference on the character of the judgment rendered, but it will make no difference on the basic fact of judgment taking place. No wonder, then, as we go back to Revelation 20, I'd like to begin in verse 11. And read a more extended portion of that chapter. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A number of the features of that reading have a rather vivid appearance. First, a great white throne. The color white indicative of the purity and the justness of the verdict rendered. It's a just judge. But it goes on to say from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. What you see is taking place on this moment is greater and higher than the particulars of what mankind may have asserted on earth. It says, in fact, the earth and heaven fled away. Those heavens that surround earth, those are no more. What we've described here is already after time has ceased. But it ends by saying there was found no place for them. All that's left, you see, is this abode described as the new heaven and the new earth, as well as that eternal abode of hell. Verse 12, the small and the great. Those people on earth who may have appeared very little by stature of human standard, maybe just common ordinary folk, perhaps like you and me, We're going to be there. But also those that are great, world leaders and renowned individuals and those people whose names are known worldwide, internationally, they're going to be there too. But then the books were opened. Have you ever given thought of the books being opened? The word is plural. What are the books? The text here doesn't tell us. But could I offer some thoughts based on this passage and others? Because it does go on to say, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So one of the books there is going to be the book of life. And you and I from various passages of the Bible know about that book. It's the book that contains the names of those who have been servants faithfully to God. Moses spoke about it in the book of Exodus. Paul spoke about it in Philippians and here, John the Revelator points it out to us here. That's surely a book in which we want our name. But may I also say that the books, could I point it out like this, the books seems to refer to the basis or standard by which the judgment of verdict is rendered. So in other words, for the New Testament era, it'll be the New Testament that's opened And your life and mine shall be judged according to it. But for those people that lived in the Old Testament like David or Moses or any number of others, they won't be judged by the New Testament. They'll be judged by the Old Testament. And the book correspondent to that will be opened and their lives and correspondence to it shall be rendered a verdict. The books will be opened. There will be no argument with the contents of the book. We've got it now. And it's going to say the same thing then that it says now. You and I, every person will, will be judged. Let's close that slide like this. The verdict of that judgment you see. For some will be so sweet because their life has been A life consistent with and in harmony with what's required to be saved. But for others, it will be a harsh judgment. One more time, every person will be judged, but for some it will be harsh, and for others, how favorable. Which side will you be on? Which side will I be on? In Matthew 25, it's described as sheep and goats. There will be some separated on the right, others on the left. Oh, I hope none of us are on the left. I hope we're not amongst the goats. I just want to be a sheep. A sheep following the, the, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, verse 4. As we close this lesson, every person will. And one by one, we've listed them like this. Every person will confess Christ, some now, unfortunately, some then. Every person will be baptized, some now in water, some then in fire. Every person will be resurrected, some to life, some to condemnation. Every person will obey, some now submissively, some then forcefully. And finally, every person will be resurrected. Every person will be judged. Will your judgment be favorable? Or will it be harshly unfavorable? The choice is yours and mine. If there's anyone in this assembly today who recognizes that things are not as they ought to be in your life, you've made choices that perhaps, though once a faithful Christian, you have begun to disgrace the name of Christ You've lived hypocritically. You've said one thing, but your life has been a different testimony. You know the Master isn't pleased with that, and He wants you to change, and He wants you to do better than that. And He'll give you the power to do it. But you've got to make the decision to begin. If we could help you in that way today, we'd be delighted to pray for you. Upon your repentance and confession, He'll forgive you. But if you've never become a Christian... You've perhaps reached an age in life that you know wrong from right, and you know that Jesus died for you, and you know how important the church is, and you know a day of judgment is coming, but you know also know you're not ready. You don't have to stay in that condition. Today, as you have perhaps been reminded that every person will, wouldn't you rather obey Him now rather than be made to then? If we could help you in that way, you need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized We'll be happy to help you. You need to let us know how we can. Please, while we stand and while we sing, why don't you do that even right now?